0: hello listeners, your host Earl Breon here today's guest is an outstanding individual, mr. michael arterberry uh is out there doing great work uh, in a great segment that needs more people like him uh doing what he's doing and I don't mean to sound so cryptic about it, but uh well, just I want him to speak on his mission himself so With that, uh, please uh, enjoy this episode. Oh, uh, we did have a few visits from Michael's birds throughout the podcast. I tried to clean up some of those sounds a little bit. So if you hear some tweeting in the background, uh, that's just Michael's birds uh, paying you a visit. So uh, with that, enjoy this episode and uh, look forward to hearing your feedback on it. With that, here's the show. Well, hello, and welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today, I've got a uh, I've got a great guest, Mister Michael Arterberry. Michael, thanks for joining us today. Yes, yes, thank you. Uh, so, Michael is uh, he's the executive director and founder of Youth Voices Center. He's uh, got a great career as a motivational speaker. Uh, he focuses on on youth, really, from what I've been able to uh, together. You focus on on youth issues. Um, You've won a lot of awards for your work as a youth educator uh, and won awards for your work in uh, combating prejudice and discrimination while increasing tolerance and acceptance within the community, which is work I love. That's kind of in lockstep with what uh, me and my partner do. And uh, he's also the author of Be Encouraged, 250 Days of Motivation and Encouragement. Michael, it sounds like you got a full plate, so thank you for making time to be with uh, me and my guests today.
1: Yes, yes, I'm I'm happy to be here, and I'm always happy to be able to talk and spread a positive message, especially during this time.
0: Yes, and it is it is a rough time right now, uh, and I'm sure we'll dive into that. But uh, but before we do, uh, I want to start you off where I start everybody: the term "burden of command." What does that mean to you, sir?
1: All right. When I tried to dissect this burden of command, I first thought of it from the from the point of a, a father and a family, and then I wanted to kind of blend it. So what I mean by that is the burden of command is being able to lead and be a good leader, but at the same time, I, I thought of a concept of uh, how the teacher can never stop being the student. So the burden of command is being able to lead, but have a nice balance between when you get to a point where it may not be your sweet spot being able to find someone to step up and help you to be a more efficient leader.
0: Mm. No, I, I really like that. I like that Oof. a lot. Uh, okay. that, that is a good that is a good uh, good answer. Uh, you know, I mean, because it's true. Because uh, you know, there's the old saying: is as soon as you think you've got it figured out, you you really haven't done anything, right? Yeah. And uh, so, so uh, kind of continual learning and not being afraid to admit what you don't know. I like that. Uh, so, so you you said you kind of had to really think about that a bit. Like, what what got you there? Were there any personal experiences that got you there, or uh, how did you get? Well, to Well, you know answer?
1: what. W- I think that um, working with teenagers, I've I found during the work that um, there's so much that I learned from them in the process. You know, with my, with my work, a lot of it is rooted into walking them back through their stories and allowing them to take what they've gone through in their lives to become a catalyst for success and what I find is there's times when we retrace their stories and they start to go into a specific area, you know, I'm listening like, Whoa, you know, this, this young 14 year old, you know, some, sometimes what people are able to do to survive, um, especially if it's a real critical traumatic situation, um, we can get very, 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 uh, it's an art. It's an art that people really start to be able to play it out in their lives. So I, I like to watch and see how they've been able to structure themselves to deal with a situation that may have taken another person under.
0: Right. Well, and that's, you know, I mean, that's, that's a valuable skill. And, and I like that because, you know, it's it's so true. You know, where I grew up, there's a lot of people who went through uh, some of the same same things I did growing up, and, uh, you know, we, we took totally different paths. You know, they're dealing with a lot of issues. Some of them are strung out on drugs. Some of them have long uh, records, and, uh, you know, and, and I can't, well, no, I'll take it back. I can. Uh, you know, I think for me, the big difference was, uh, you know, I was actually raised by my grandfather. I had a strong, positive male role model that stepped in where my uh, my biological father wasn't and and a lot of times I think that is the big difference is having that strong positive role model uh so so is that something that you've noticed too is is having that model role model available makes all the difference in the world
1: you know um and i'm glad you kind of divulged some of your we 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 cut from the same cloth Earl. i don 't know your full story, but that little bit that you just served me. Made me realize that yeah, we 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 got some similarities, but you know, not not only is I think it's the 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 um male role models. I think that people have to be careful because we we are products of our thought lives, uh-huh. and so what I like to teach and and get the young people to understand that they have the power to keep thoughts or remove thoughts. Because if they're not careful, if a thought plants itself, just like a seed, it germinates and it grows. So I teach them, which any normal individual, not normal, which individuals can practice is that if we don't process information properly, like I assume you did and I did as well, growing up in different types of neighborhoods, they become the driver of our car and we become the passenger. And so we have to be so careful that we don't allow our upbringing and our issues to become the catalyst of what we make our decisions by because we have to unpack it properly and do right with what we've learned throughout the process.
0: Yeah, I, and I like that. And I, I can just hear my listeners uh, shouting right now with well, that. That that sounds very easy, but how? So so, how do people? And I like what you put that. How do people take over the wheel and be the driver of their car, and not the passenger?
1: Well, what, what I do with them, Earl, um, is I do an activity, and I call it uh, I call it affirmation and two. So you got to envision a a group of high school students. I put them in pairs, and um, I have them talk to each other for a minute. And list the positive qualities about themselves. Then, after they talk to each other for a minute about the positive qualities about themselves, I have them introduce their partner to the room. So now you've spoken and talked about your positive qualities. Now, somebody's gonna stand up and repeat those positive qualities to the room. And then I put them in a circle and we debrief it. Mm-hmm. And then I, I ask them, Earl, would it be easier? To list the negative things or the positive things. And generally, they'll say it'd be easier to list the negatives. And then I explain to them a story. And I, I you know, it, real quickly, I'll run through it with you of my daughter coming down one night um, when I was watching football. My wife brought her down and um, I said goodnight to her. But when I released her back to my wife, when my wife picked her up, I said goodnight beautiful. And I watched how my daughter responded to me saying goodnight, beautiful. But because of the work that I do, I thought about Earl if I called her ugly. Or when she came downstairs, I was like, hey, didn't I tell you about bringing her downstairs when I'm watching football and you get all this negative thing going back and forth. And then I walk these teenagers through the years and I make her the year of whatever year of the room I'm in, the kids in the room. And then I ask them, after all of that, who's driving a car? And then, you know, a teenager will say, uh, you are her father. And I'll explain to them that she can get married, have a husband, and I'll still drive a car, Earl. She can get married, have a husband and a child, and I'm still driving a car. So what I'm teaching is that until you take your keys back, so you got to realize who took your keys to drive your car. But when you realize, then you're able to kind of put a a handle on when your keys were taken, that's when you start the process of going and digging deep and trying to get your keys back so you could become the driver, not the passenger.
0: Mm. No, I, I like that metaphor. That is, that is such a great metaphor for for ownership and, and kind of taking the responsibility. And, uh, you know, I mean, cause it's, it's true. I mean, you know, a, we're, for some reason uh the human race is is just so negatively wired and and I don't know what I don't know what crossroad of evolution we missed where we became so negatively wired uh but it's it, it what you just said is so powerful because it is it's so much easier to to list all of the negative things about yourself and what's gone on in your life than it is to find good positive things and there's always good positive things right yeah
1: yeah you know and that's why what what what's amazing is like you said it's human nature but what what people don't understand is that we have the power of choice
0: mm-hmm. so
1: if 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 it's easier to list the negatives but you do have the positives when i tell them that they have the power to 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 grab the choice that, that's up to you. So you can tell me 10 negative things, but then I can think 10 positive things. So when a negative thing pops to mind, you have two choices. You have a choice to keep it, or you have a choice to say, I don't want it. What we do with human nature, what we have a tendency to do is when it comes, we keep it. And what the kids become enlightened about, and it doesn't just have to be kids Earl, mm-hmm. is that when the thought comes, you have the power to get rid of it. I mean, it's it's really just that simple. You know what I'm saying? And so when it comes, when somebody throws something negative at me and I know it's not who I am, I don't even let it settle long enough to affect me. You know, I'll tell you this. I, I doing these podcasts. Right. I had a woman who I sent her uh, uh, to ask if I could be on a podcast show. She writes me back in the email. That I'm self centered. I'm not about helping people. Mm. I mean, it was a. I was like, wow, what podcast did you hear that I was on? Because it was so far from who I am as a person. So rather than even dealing and getting my head in that space, Earl, I kicked it out. I, maybe two minutes I entertained it, and then I got rid of it because it's not close to who I am as a person.
0: So apologize that 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 happened to you. Uh, but but what I love about what you just shared there, and it, this goes back to I don't know, it was maybe my third or fourth episode of this podcast. I interviewed a gentleman, uh, Colonel Lee Ellis, and uh, this is how I know everything that, that Michael just said is a hundred percent true. Uh, he was a POW at the Hanoi Hilton during Vietnam, and what you just said uh, was one of the the pillars that helped those men make it through that ordeal and come back with an unbelievably low PTSD rate, especially when you take into account all the things they went through. And, and one of the things uh, that, that helped them was the uh, kind of the ranking person there was Admiral James Bond Stockdale. And uh, he, he was a fan of the, the Stoic philosophers. And he uh, would always quote a gentleman named Epictetus And this is what uh, Epictetus had to say. He would say, men are disturbed not by things, but the view of which they take of them. Wow. And yeah. And and so when you were saying that, I'm I'm like, I'm immediately transported back to reading that book, Leadership Lessons from the Hanoi Hilton. And it's amazing. uh, Ever since I interviewed him, it's amazing some of the parallels because All of these things you're listed, sure it's a little bit different actors and maybe a little different degree and and, and application, but it's all of these same things that some of these youth are going through that these men went through in the Hanoi Hilton. And if if, if with people like you in their lives helping them be able to deal with that, it makes all the difference in the world and the outcome. So, I mean, I don't know what the instances were. This lady saying you were self-centered, but, you know... I think the world needs more people like you taking up the the mantle for these youth and helping at least trying to help them get on on a better path. So thank you for your work.
1: Yes, thank you. Thank you. Um and yeah, there's definitely a similarity with what you laid out with the uh the uh men men in service. Yeah. For 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 sure.
0: Yeah. So why um so so you mentioned a couple of times kind of like like teenagers. Why why have you kind of zeroed in on that age range?
1: Um, Well, you know, believe it or not, Earl, uh, teenagers seems to be the majority. But I think that, um, no, I don't think. I mean, I know that, you know, I I help adults as well. It's not as structured, and that's part of what I'm trying to do with my vision. But with teenagers, I think that what's beautiful about it is um, they still have so much of their lives to live. So if you are able, so you think about it, I, I get a teenager, let's say they're in the ninth grade, 13 years old, and I meet them. And what I teach is that we, we have a tendency to step on landmines through the process of life. We, damage occurs, we don't realize there's damage, and then our, our decisions are based on the damage And we don't realize it. So you got a teenager running around making decisions on something that happened to them when they were like seven or eight years old. And then they come into the group and they gain revelation and insight on what it was so that when they leave me, from that point forward, they can make the the objective to make better decisions because of what they discovered. Now, I say that. Because if I get a teenager, think about how much more of their life that they have to live, that it can be that much better quality because they are able to navigate and create a path that's consistent with what they went through rather than being reactive to what they went through.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's, uh, you know, I mean, I think that's one of the same reasons that, uh, uh, that that some of the, I'll say negative groups in society, uh, target the same demographic, right? The, the kids are going through stuff. They're trying to, uh, they're trying to cope with whatever it is they're dealing with. And whoever comes in with a message that, Hey, you know, we can take care of you. You belong. You're not this, that, or the other. They're the ones that are going to win and, and influence where that kid goes. Right.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Well, you know, what
1: I do is I have a, what I try to do is, especially for a youngster where I know it's not happening at home, is I make them accountable to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying. So I'm not trying to be anybody's daddy. You know what I'm saying. But if I go to a group and I'm in these schools, a lot of the schools I go into, it's not like I'm going to be there one time. The packages that they purchase with my my program, I'm, I'm there for multiple visits, and I just let the kid know. Listen, you know, all right, your your mother and your father may not go to your guidance counselor, ask about your grades, but you better believe every time I walk into this building, I'm going to stop and I'm going to speak to your counselor. And so they get a little afraid and they say, you know, listen, if I can't do it for myself, you know, this guy, Mike, that's now my mentor, you know, maybe or not, maybe I'll be able to give some energy towards not making him feel or failing and having someone that cares about me, feeling upset because I didn't put all my energy towards it.
0: And and how powerful is that? Just knowing that there's somebody out there that that actually cares about how you turn out.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's real powerful. And, and to the point where, I, you know, Earl, to be honest with you, I call the young people that go through my program. I have two biological kids. So I got two of my own that I brought into this world. Mm-hmm. But I call all the kids that go through my program my surrogate children, mm. and so even though it's a program and I deliver it to a school, you know I treat those kids in my group just like I, I would treat my my son or my daughter. So yeah, they feel it. They feel it, and it's a part of what I try to create in the rooms that I that I'm in. You know, I try to allow the groups of kids that I work with to feel loved on just as if they were loved on like a parent would do it if they lived in a, a, a functional home and not a dysfunctional home.
0: Mm. No, I, I like that. And, and as we kind of talked about earlier, that's, it's getting harder and harder to overcome that negativity barrier with the prevalence of, of not just social media, I can't blame the the medium, but, the things that are going on in the world that are getting noticed and, and broadcast because of social media. Uh, it's it's a dark looking world out there right now.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, what, what, what you have to explain to them and what I explain to them is, um, you know, if you really want to get a gauge of where you're at, you know, so you're sitting around and it's for you and I as well, you know, just look at your friends, look at your company. Mm-hmm. Um, and your company and your friends are always a great indicator of of where you are. You know, when you talk about being the, the teacher and the student we talked about in the beginning, you know, if you're starting to get stagnant in your life or you feel like it, things are getting a little stale, look around. Mm-hmm. Look around. It'll start talking to you. And you'll realize, yeah, you know what? I need to change the scenery. And scenery meaning either my thought processes or I need to change those that I'm giving my energy towards because it's starting to bleed into my own life.
0: Uh, Yeah. And and, and that is, again, it's, it's, it's hard to do, but necessary It's a process that I had to go through uh, when I got out of the Marines. And, and I, I saw these, these possibilities that were opened up to me that, that I didn't think I had before. And I I had to do the same thing. You know, I look around and I've got friends that are, you know, uh, sitting around smoking pot and doing all this stuff. And, and, you Know their aspirations were uh, not much beyond, uh, you know, becoming maybe a produce manager at a local grocery store or something. And, and yeah, I mean, I had to cut some ties with some of those folks. I, I still love them, but you know, it, they just weren't good for my environment. And, and I went through, you know, too big for my britches. Called uppity, and, and you know I grew up in northeast Tennessee and in, in the country, and you know I got called citified and all that kind of good stuff. And it's like, you know, okay, sure, maybe, maybe I am. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you're saying it like that's such a bad thing because here I am.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know that those, the, you know, I, I I read either I read a book. I, I can't remember if I read a book. I saw it in a movie, but um. If, if you don't have haters, Earl, you ain't doing it right. If the haters are, are the indicator that you're doing it the way you're supposed to be doing it. So, yeah, when they start calling you, you know, citified and all of that, that means Earl is on track and he's going where he's supposed to be going.
0: Yeah, but that's just, yeah, no, I agree, but that's. That's another one of those things about the, the age group, that, that teenage, you know, being in, in school and trying to impress somebody, whoever that somebody is. It's very hard uh, to get kids to, to, to not have to be part of, of the popular crowd and, and do the things that the popular kids are doing. So how do, you, how do you kind of get around that to get them to do what's right instead of what's popular? So we do a lot of
1: work on, on, on self-esteem. Now you, you, I know you, you ask a question, so I got to, I'm going to tell you what I do. So your follow-up question is how, how, how I achieve it. So check it out, Earl. This is what we do. What I do is I do a multiple list of activities. Like for one, for instance, is I, um, I have them do a, a activity I call who am I? So. They write down on 10 slips of paper a positive or negative word that describes them. Now, once they get the 10 piece, 10 words on the paper, I didn't have them prioritize the word in a stack from least important to most important. Then I run them through a script so that they read each, each word, see how each word applies to their life. I have them crumble it up after each word is read. And then after all 10 slips of paper are on the floor, I have them pick up the ones they want back and then leave the ones that they don't want back on the floor. And then we process it. And so what I mean by that is I constantly give them the opportunity to self-reflect, engage, and find worth in who they are as an individual. But I don't leave them on a cliff. What I explain to them is this. We have to learn to be able to find value on a individual level, because that is powerful. Mm-hmm. If I'm able to feel valuable without having my friend group um, actually become where my va- value comes from, the friend group becomes the icing on the cake. And I think the work starts with the individual of getting to a place where you're able to be confident you know, I, I I suffered from a spinal cord injury, but I'm good now. Like mm-hmm. like I'm physically able. I work out seven days a week. But walking okay. long distances is tough for me. So when I go places where I'm doing a long distance, I drive a um I bought me a nice battery uh motored uh scooter. So okay. I can put it in the back yeah, I can put it in the back of my car, pull it out and put it together and it's it's beautiful because my kids play sports. But I'm telling you this because I'm a big muscular guy and to get in that scooter and not be afraid to pull into places and have people saying, oh, look at the guy in the scooter. I had to do mental work, man. I had to oh. do a lot of work to be confident to jump in that scooter and be able to endure that.
0: Yeah. I mean, because you're, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I guarantee you, you went through all the same thought processes that the kids are about. What are other people going to think? What are they going to say? How am I going to be perceived? Right.
1: Yeah. 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 So, you know, I had to get to a place where, you know, where it didn't bother me because who the heck wants to be out in public and constantly be concerned. I mean, that takes a lot of freaking energy. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that it does, that it does. And, and, you know, one of the things that you'd mentioned kind of in their uh, email exchanges working up here is uh, one of the things you discuss, and I love this, no regrets. So, uh, what is that all about? What 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 do you mean when you say no regrets?
1: I think that if you prepare properly, it it forces you to create a situation where you you don't have the regrets. And so, what I mean by that, I started it at a a, a young age. I um I played football, and I remember that. We, we every year when football season starts, you got two weeks of um training camp in August, and uh, what I would do is as an athlete, I would be in shape before I reported for training camp, but my buddies would all wait until training camp. To actually prepare to get in shape. So I would be laughing. They're puking over in the bushes, and I'm laughing because I took the time to get ready before the season. So I was one step above my teammates, the guys that I was going to probably work against from my position, but I was also um, steps in front of my opponents. Now I say that because I wouldn't have or I won't have as many regrets during the football season because I prepared properly. And so when I push regrets, I push the fact that we have to create a life of discipline so that anything we go after, we properly prepare. Because when you look back over what you've done to get there, you would have hopefully turned over every rock and did whatever you needed to do to accomplish your goal.
0: No, I, I like that, and, and you know it, it helps you, it, it helps you get a little bit more comfortable with where you are because, you know, I I get asked that question a lot. You know, is like, is there anything that you would change about your life? And you know, the people that know my story, uh, I've shared a few tidbits on here. You know, um, my Marine Corps career got sh- uh, uh, got cut a little bit short because uh, I was in, I served in the late '90s when they were uh, kind of mandating the anthrax vaccines. And I had some adverse reactions from that. And, and you know, people was like, not even that? I mean, you wanted to be a career, uh, a career Marine, and you got that taken away. And, you know, they're always surprised because my answer is always, no, I wouldn't change a thing. Well, why not? Because if I changed one little thing, I wouldn't be where I am right now. Mm. And, and, and you know, no matter how negative it is, who knows if that negative thing hadn't have happened to me, what I would be doing, uh Right now, uh, you know, I mean, if 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 I hadn't had got sick from the anthrax vaccines, you know, 9-11 happened shortly after that. Uh, I've got several friends that have been lost either in combat or uh, to the, the veteran suicide epidemic. I could have easily been me if I hadn't have gotten sick. So right. I, I don't I, I like that concept because I don't regret a thing that's happened in my life because I wouldn't be where I am right now if it hadn't. And so and that's going to be a hard thing to get youth to to think about in the, uh, that far in the future right because they're still you know they're still in school they're still got their whole life ahead of them like you said they it's probably hard to get them to think about you know being 30 40 years down the road thinking about the journey in between
1: well you you know what i do earl is i tell them um i tell them a story about i watched a documentary on hbo about this star basketball player he came out if you know anything about basketball during the lebron james era and this guy called carmelo anthony who played for the knicks for a while now i tell you this because the documentary shoots and this guy is now lebron james is like the god of basketball but this kid in the documentary was better than both these guys who eventually went on to the pros but long story short the documentary follows him He gets pulled out of the inner city, lives with this woman. She's doing everything that needs to be done for him to be successful. But then the documentary takes a really crazy turn because he declares to go to the draft, but he doesn't make the NBA. So he ends up going to Europe to play in Europe, but never gets the NBA contract.
0: Mm. So that
1: the documentary kind of fades, it comes back on, And this guy is now, you know, you see him in the backwoods of like North Carolina. He's fat, out of shape. And, you know, they take him back to his path of where he made poor choices. But at the end, and this is the part that gets teenagers, is at the end, they did a split screen of the teenage basketball guy. And then the other part of the screen is the old, fat, out of shape guy. And he talks to that younger person. Mm. And for some reason it resonates with them because maybe it's the sports or whatever, but then they start to realize that they're now making choices that are going to be detrimental to anything they decide to do. So they don't even have to have a career or a path laid out. They're making choices that, you know, some of the places I go into, you are talking about guys smoking pot and stuff. Some of these guys, if they continue or girls, Continue on the track that they're going, they are going to be addicted, dead, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, or in prison. And so, um, I think making it relative to where they are allows them to be able to digest it and, and, and kind of look at it from a, a, a proper perspective.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And again, that's why I like, uh, I like the work that you're doing, uh, you know, having visited, uh, uh, having visited the Youth Voices Center site and seeing some of the things you're doing, I, I like, uh, I, I like the fact that you're targeting uh, that demographic. Uh, you know, because that is where, you know, like I said already, that that's that's where kind of the meat is for the future. And uh, you know, no matter how you slice it, you are kind of at battle with some of those negative forces, like you mentioned. You mentioned the HBO documentary. One of the things I used to love to watch on History Channel was, uh, I don't know if you remember, they did a series called Gangland. Oh, yeah! And and the thing that struck me about that was after watching a few episodes, you know, every one of these gangs started out with kind of a positive intent to, as as protection, as some type of community protection type thing, and, and to give kids a positive influence and then somebody decided, hey, we've got all this power and influence over over these kids. we can do some terrible stuff with it And uh you know they know gangs uh, uh, they know and, and when I say gangs, I include everything like I, I see the white supremacist groups as gangs. I see all of this as gangs. They know that these these youth are very influenceable, they're very, uh easily uh easily steered just by showing hey i care about you i've got your back you take care of me i'm going to take care of you but they're really not that concerned about taking care of the kids just kind of growing their empire if you will
1: right right well you know what i what i what i, I do with my program <clears throat> and I, I i laugh when i tell people this but um i actually follow some of the guidelines of what a, uh, a gang leader would do, except for I, I preach a positive message. Right. So I get them, I get them to react to me just like a guy would come in and I even give them shirts. So like when I first developed my program, it was when the, uh, bloods and the Crips, um, two gangs, blood, they wear red and one wears blue. Mm-hmm. They were starting to become popular, but my shirt is white which I had realized during that time, because listening again, being the student and not the teacher, is white is neutral. So if they were white in their neighborhoods, they were able to exist without being bothered. And so, you know, I like what you say about they, they feed off of the teenager by creating a culture, saying I wanna be part of it. I do the same thing, but at the end of what I do, I don't say you have to go kill somebody I tell them, listen, you have to pay forward and bring somebody else to a place of clarity like you've been able to achieve yourself.
0: Mm. No, I like that flipping the script on it. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, you know, one of the other things that, that you mentioned, and and I I love this, you, you said, uh, how do you want to be remembered? And uh, I'll share with you one more story real quick and, and uh, let you go on that. But uh, as a young as a young kid, I kind of I don't know why, but I kind of asked my grandfather that question. I'll never f- forget what he said because we were we were my uh, hometown, and um, oh, we were at a stat. We and I don't even remember who the politician was now, but there was some statue that was down there, historical figure, and uh, you know I asked him. I was like so, you know, Grandpa, I called him Papa. I'm from Northeast Tennessee. It's a pa- uh, that's what we call Grandpas there's papa. <laughs> So, All right. so, I said, so how do you want to be remembered? And and he looks at the statue and he looks at me and it didn't make any sense at the time. But he says, he says, son, he goes, when I die, he goes, I'd rather have people asking why they didn't build a statue in my honor than asking why they did. Mm. And it took me years to, to, to really understand what he meant by that. And that's kind of what I try to do. I, I want to, when I die, I want people asking why they didn't build a statue in my honor than asking why they did. Um, so, yeah, so that's my little story. But what is, how do you want to be remembered? How does that, how does that work out for you?
1: You know, let me tell you something, Earl, and and, and it's it's a little similar to, I, I, I was going to call him by the name you call him, but we say your grandfather. But, um, you know, when I when I think about how I want to be remembered, um what i like is for when a person and this goes for anybody not just me so i may explain myself but it could be for any individual is how you leave another person mm. you know what i'm saying but it can't be fake and it it can't it has to be organic and it has to be authentic but you i want once i finish speaking to a person Or any interaction with the person, I want to leave them with a feeling that, that they've been touched. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 like when we leave each other, like, whoa, Mm. there was something about that guy that really, really touched me. You know what I'm saying? In a place where, you know, and not to be inappropriate, but like, you know, Touch me in a place that people don't really, really go there. You know, like the, the podcast that I did just finished with, which warmed my heart, is a young lady says, I never cry, but four times during the podcast interview, she cried. Mm. And so I didn't do it on purpose. I just was being myself, but that's how I want people to, to remember me, Earl, that I I was able to touch them and and make them feel like wow, you know this dude is is he's is something about him, but I can't put my finger on it.
0: Well, you know, I I'll tell you this, like uh your your voice and your answers, uh, you you carry a lot of care and concern just on your tone of voice and and how thoughtful you you answer and when we talk about these things. So uh, that makes perfect sense because you can definitely tell that that you care about what you're doing so again I, I really appreciate that you're you're doing the work that you're doing wow
1: wow well thank you for you know giving me an opportunity to speak on your platform you know that's 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 paying it for for all of us we if we continue to work in these circles you know everyone gets the ability to benefit
0: yeah no uh, definitely, and, and I'm hoping a lot of people hear this and and, and listen and go check out. Uh, uh, I will have the links to to your uh, to your websites and to your your social media platforms so they can connect with you. Um, you know, one thing that that uh, we kind of talked about there, and you know, like I said, is in our, in kind of the wheelhouse what me and my partner do is the the combating prejudice and discrimination and, and kind of helping teach tolerance and acceptance. Um, you know how. I'll just leave this kind of an open ended question for you. Uh, ha- how do you, how do you tackle that topic?
1: Oh, wow. This is sweet. You're going to like this answer Earl. So listen, this is what I do when I go into schools. When, when I, so say you're the principal when I, I, I get 25 to 30 students at a time. So the first thing I do is I have the principal pick added the 25 to 30 students. Um, I want everything represented in that room. So I want the white, black, Latino, honor roll student. So my group right before anything is done is already multi- multicultural. But I do this activity, which I call concentric circles. So Earl, I have an inside circle facing outward, an outside circle facing in. So they have partners and I rotate them five times and I give them five different subjects to talk about to each partner. First thing I have them talk about is, um, a person you admire and why you admire them. Qualities you look for in a friend. If you had the power to change something in the world, what would it be and why? A time that, um, someone hurt you, um, that you trusted. Um, and then a time that, uh, you lost someone you really cared about. So imagine you got this group talking to five different people. Remember the makeup of the group. And then I pull them out in the circle, Earl, and we debrief it. First and foremost, you gotta remember, these are kids from the different walks of life. When we finish those five questions, the first thing that happens when we pull out is I ask them, do they feel it? And Earl, after these kids have just become transparent with these people from other races and so forth, their whole room shifts. Now, the reason why it shifts is because when they come in that first morning, and they look around the circle, everybody is just a face. Hmm. See, you walk in, it's a black face, it's a white face, it's a Latino face. But after doing those five questions, each one of those faces now become people. And hmm. we start to build off of that. We, I explained to them that if you only have white friends and you guys talk about blacks, your only definition of a black person is from white friends. Mm-hmm. So it becomes stereotyping. And so I do that with each group. And so what we do is we explain to them that you need to treat people like people rather than treating people like faces.
0: Mm. You know, um, I, I love that because, uh, and I'm not sure if you've ever read the book or not, but there's a, it's, it's a fantastic book. The title is a little off-putting, uh, to most folks, but I really wish that they would get past that and read it. Uh, but it's a book called On Killing. Uh, it, it's by a, na- uh, a gentleman named uh, David Grossman, and he is a uh, he was a army colonel, and uh, he he's a psychologist. And he one day somebody asked a question: What does it take to get one human being to be able to kill another human being? And uh, that was a question that really intrigued him. So he set out to do a ton of research. And he said, you know, he, he lays all the research out there. He goes, but at the end of the day, the research it points to one very simple answer. The only way one human be- being can kill another human being is to stop seeing them as a human being. Wow. Yeah. He uh he goes through the wars, uh, you know, and he talks about uh, the, the, the genesis of a lot of the racial uh, uh, racial slurs that we have right now across, across the world. Because I think that's one thing as Americans we don't really see is that, you know, they have racial slurs for us too. <laughs> um, is, you know, that's – it's a coping mechanism. When, when we use those racial slurs, it's to help us s- not see that person – as a human being and then whatever egregious thing we are about to do becomes easier because it's not a human, mm. it's whatever you use. So, yeah, uh, I, I highly recommend uh, not just you, but everybody listening. Uh, check out that book On Killing by, by David Grossman because uh, your exercise there was, was I mean, that was beautiful because that, that's the key is to keep seeing people as people. So I like that a lot.
1: Yep, yep. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Well, Michael, uh we're we're approaching the forty five minute mark here and it seems like we just started talking. I'm a little shocked that we've we've been talking this long. This has been some really good conversation. Um uh, is there anything that we haven't had a chance to touch on that you would like to? Um nah, Earl.
1: I think we you know, I mean when you say forty five minutes, you know, we we seem to like we get along here. We could talk for another hour, but no. I think we've uh, we've, we've 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 covered things. You know what I want to leave with your audience is um, you know I really push that people live a conscious life,
0: hmm.
1: and what I mean by that is um, you know ninety percent of the world lives unconscious, and it, you know they become very selfish rather than selfless. And I think that if we are able to practice that on an individual level, a lot of the hate and a lot of the the things that we see going on in society can be, um, you can't bypass it, but I think that it can be approached and looked at from a totally different perspective. So, you know, I just want people to live conscious and not be so um, into themselves that they miss that there may be another individual that may need them to kind of come up beside him and, and comfort him and, and help them through their whatever ordeal it is.
0: Oh, no, I, I love that. But I'm going to ask you to be into yourself for just a little bit here, because before we go, uh, I do want to touch on your book, Be Encouraged, 250 Days of Motivation and Encouragement. Can, can you give the listeners kind of a brief uh, like a brief synopsis of, of what the book is about and and why they should pick it up
1: yes um you know the book is about uh, it's it's written devotional style so you pick a page you read a page and you get ready for the day um and you know actually right this morning I'm I'm transferring it over to an audio version. And um, I say that because as I'm reading the pages, I realize that people have a tendency to sometimes feel as if they're isolated and what they're going through is something that is only them. And so what I'm able to do on each one of the pages is to walk you through a day of your possibilities and let you know that as dark as, as the day may seem, if you twist and look at things from the proper perspective, you can find some encouragement. And so I call it Be Encouraged, and each page is just to enlighten and motivate each individual to live the most out of the day and to live a quality life.
0: Oh, no, again, I, I, I like that. And, uh, you know, when I was doing the, the the work up here, If I if I read this right— uh, your wife uh, wrote a book about, you You kind of mentioned it in passing there, your your injury. Your wife wrote a book as well that, that kind of covered that.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, it's called God Was Holding My Hand. Um, it's a, a book my wife wrote about my life story. Um, you know, when you were talking about a little bit of your upbringing, um, it goes into, you know, some of the things that I had to overcome growing up. Um, I had a spinal cord injury, which changed my life. But, you know, of course, I was able to adapt and keep moving. Um, and I had a real spiritual experience during the time of my surgery. So it's it's a, a nice book to kind of lay out, especially after hearing me speak to you. Um, it gets a nice backdrop of who Mike Michael Arderberry really is.
0: Outstanding. Well, I'll I'll go ahead and link that in the show notes as well. And, uh, you know, we have to get her on here uh, if that's something that she'd be interested in. Uh, So.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll pass it on. I'll pass it on. And if she, you know, she's a little shy. She likes to work. In the backdrop, but I'll, I'll pass it on and we'll see what she says, Earl.
0: <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Well, and, and you know, again, I agree with your earlier statement. I think you and I could chat about this for another hour or so. I think we pretty much just uh, scratched the surface. Uh, so I'm a little sad that we've, we've went as long as we have. But, uh, you know, again, I love the work you're doing. Uh, keep it up. I uh, really, really think it's it's worthy, uh, worthy work. And we need a lot more people doing it. So so thank you for that. All right. All right. Thank you, Earl. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And, and listeners, like I said, I'm going to have all the uh, the links to, to Michael's uh, websites, to his social media information. Uh, I highly encourage that you you check it out. And, uh, you know, if you are a uh, educator uh, and, uh, you know, what you've heard Michael say here kind of rings true for for your school, reach out. Uh, you know, kids, kids need this sort of thing. Um uh, as for B, uh, you know, as always, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, feedback, you can reach me at burden.command at gmail.com. Uh, I look forward to, to having more guests like this in the future. This has been a really good episode. Uh, if you have any suggestions, send them to that email. Be sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show. Help us get some more visibility. Uh, we've been growing fairly nicely lately, so really thank all of the listeners for that. And with that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode.
1: Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road
0: trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool.
1: Fifty years of music with 50 year old white guys.
0: Electricast. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time.